Do you have any experience? No, sir, I have no experience, but I'm a big fan of money. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today we're going to do a TMBA first. So y'all know that we use the blog all the time to bring on new team members, but we generally put up blog posts. Well, today I decided why don't we record a podcast about it as well. So if you're interested in coming to work for our team, you can skip along to the end of this episode. We're going to talk about the job opportunity. And I also encourage you to visit the website, tropicalmba.com slash work with us. But I also wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about team building and the backstory of the Tropical MBA. Actually, the first blog post I ever put up at this domain was a job offering for someone to move to Southeast Asia and sort of go on an adventure with me. I want to talk about that story, what inspired that. At the time, it was a really weird decision to make. And so I want to talk about the backstory there. Also in this episode, we are going to debate the value of having team members in person versus having them live distributed all around the globe. We're also going to talk about whether or not it's a good idea to support your employees' side projects. So we'll get into all that, plus a discussion of the opportunity to come work for my team in this episode. So first, let me just tell the story of the Tropical MBA, because I've told bits and pieces of it, but I just want to get it out. And so I called up Ian, and I tried to jog up our memory a little bit and warp us back to 2009. Okay, so at the time, remember, we were moving our valet parking equipment onto Drupal. And the reason was, is the e-commerce platforms at the time were so limited that we thought if we could put it on Drupal, we could have tons of content on the web, which would bring customers into our website. The only thing I remember about Drupal is the guy that was running our Drupal sites, building these sites for us, stole our computer. So that's really what I'm focused on during this time period was this guy walking around with our laptop. That was like a big deal to me at the time. Anyways, go on. Well, if you remember at the time, we had a local Drupal developer in San Diego who was brilliant, but he had a full-time job. And if I recall correctly, he made, you know, not 100,000, but he was up at that level. And every time we wanted to get on the phone with the guy, it was expensive and he held the keys to the Beamer, right? Like we couldn't really do anything with our website because yeah, it's this big, powerful platform, but there was no WooCommerce then. There was no WordPress where you could just jump on and fix it in the wee hours of the night as the CEO, if you want to get your cart back online. And we really wanted to get aggressive with our sites. We wanted to do powerful things like customize our shopping cart and have tons of content all over the web and have interesting landing pages for our products. We wanted to do shipping calculations in real time, like all these things that were required to have a successful web store. And we just felt like we needed to be on a better platform. And the bottom line was like many entrepreneurs, we just couldn't afford it. So we had to get innovative. And I remember during that time, I was kind of like hiring people on Odesk and I was working with this local San Diego guy. And I listened to an episode of Internet Business Mastery and John Jonas was on there. 
And that guy just sells the crap out of the Philippines. And I just heard him say, you know, you can hire a Filipino for $300 a month and they speak perfect English, you know, all this and that. And it just like kind of clicked with me. I was like, this could be the solution for us. I pulled together a plan that was like, for the price that we're paying the San Diego person, we could have like three people in the Philippines. So not only could we do all the tech stuff, but we could do all the marketing stuff. And I remember we looked at this with like big eyes and we were like, that's good. The problem is we can't really afford to send Dan there and pay him too and then pay three more people. So how do you get that done? Well, we sold the same opportunity to another business partner. I know it's complicated, but I want to mention this because if you find an innovative solution for something in your business, there's a good chance that someone else is going to want to get involved in that too. Hey, we're going to go to the Philippines and hire three people. Can I go do that for you as well? That could potentially cash flow your outsourcing operation. And I mentioned this, Ian, because I've seen countless people do it. So I wanted to bring up that like that at the core was part of the reason we were able to fund this whole development arm in the Philippines. Okay, so you land in the Philippines and then there's just this huge talent pool that's running you over at the mall around every corner. You're just trying to get your Baskin Robbins and people are running to you with job applications. Is that how it worked? Yes and no. I mean, you are sitting there in Baskin Robbins and I still see it today. Sometimes I'll, I'll be in the Philippines walking in a mall and you'll see that guy's an internet marketer. And like across the table is like, you know, someone in a nice outfit, you know, pitching with the resume. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talent. And we did end up hiring somebody, eventually a couple job postings, and I'm sitting across from the guy we need, the guy we want. And he was a Drupal developer for one of the top newspapers in the Philippines. But he understood the entrepreneurial spirit. He understood the flexibility that came with working for a smaller business. And so I said, hey, man, what do you want to make? And what he said changed my life forever. <laughs> Because he didn't say $300, okay? He said, I'd like to start at $1,000 a month. This was in 2009. And at the time, I'm living in a beautiful tropical island, Ian. I have a really nice apartment that's cheap. I think I'm paying 350 bucks a month for two bedrooms and it's a service apartment and all this. I'm riding around on a motorcycle. I got a tennis coach. Life is good. Yeah, rub it in. And I remember where I was and what I was spending money on and what was going on in my life. And I was thinking, all this guy's doing is hiring a couple people over there. Where have I gone wrong where I sent this guy over there and he's got this life? So I thought two things. The first thing is, this guy's turning the screw on me. He wants $1,000 a month. Hell, I would work for $1,000 a month in order to live this type of lifestyle, to have this kind of opportunity, to see this country sort of warp itself into this business process outsourcing giant, this tropical paradise of a nation. And you can live on $1,000 a month here. So that would be a good job. The other thing is, is that I hired him. And the reason is, is that to hire somebody like him in California at the time, I think optimistically would have cost us fifty-five dollars to $75,000 a year. Optimistically, okay? Now, he's saying he wants $12,000 a year. So did I hire him? Yeah, I did. And did he build all of our sites for us? Yeah, he did. And he built all those intricate shipping modules that you wanted and all these things that really helped us to grow a more successful business. But then I got the idea. I thought, well, this is interesting, because I'm kind of gut checking myself thinking, well, I wouldn't mind working for $1,000 a month if I got the opportunity to have this adventure too. And that's when the name Tropical MBA jumped into my head. And only a few days later, I put up a video basically saying, you know what? All this money I'm saving on this developer, I'm going to take part of it and hire an intern. 
And I put up a job ad basically saying, you know, I'll pay you to go on this first adventure, low wages, you know, only the strong will survive kind of thing. Join me if you're crazy enough. And Sean Ogle from Location 180 was crazy enough and ended up coming out and working with us. And that's a model that we've still done themes and variations of that to this day. And I mention it because a lot of people still associate Tropical MBA with this sort of tropical internship stuff. And we've distanced ourselves from that for a lot of reasons. You'll find out, you know, in the conversation we had today that we're much more confident about the opportunities we're giving out. We've got budget for it. So we're providing people with full-time, still location independent, but, you know, full-time jobs. We expect them to be focused on what we're doing. But back in the day, we weren't as confident, Ian. We weren't sure that our business was going to succeed. We had limited resources, so we had to get creative. And we did that by internships, you know, offering things that other people valued, like adventure, like learning in order to save some cash. And with the same thing with hiring uh, developers in the Philippines. I think about this. There's some variations of this. I don't know if you know these people, but I know these people that have taken these jobs. And I say the word jobs loosely. Where it's like, hey, come work for me. Drive my Ferrari. Actually, I got two Ferraris. You can drive them both. But at the same time, you got to pick up my daughter from piano lessons. You got to buy my groceries. And then when you come home, you got to do this. It's kind of like hedge fund manager. Maybe you're a personal assistant to somebody in Hollywood, something like that. And so when I think about this tropical MBA thing, I don't think about it in necessarily the same way, but in terms of like serving someone. But I do think of it in terms of life style. It's like, hey, come over here and enjoy this lifestyle. See what this is all about. That was really half of it back then. Part of it, like you said, because we weren't confident in the opportunity that we we're giving people in our business, but we were very confident in the opportunity, hey, come live on a tropical island. I think these days, Dan, we've gotten a lot more confident in terms of what we're building with the business. And so we can actually offer a lot more on the business side. Maybe, I hate to say this, but maybe a little bit less on the lifestyle side. I actually don't think so. I mean, I think by like just turning up the volume on both sides, we're giving more, you know, giving them good work that's sustainable. Honestly, you know, in 2009, you bring somebody in paying them $1,000 a month, you got to get them up to a living wage, like a real salary where you can buy plane tickets and maybe visit your family occasionally and those kinds of things. I was nervous that we would be able to get them to that level. And so at that time, we were very clear that, look, this is six months, then we'll let you do your own thing. Basically, at the time, it was like, I'll teach you within six months how to start an online business. I'll teach you what I've learned in the last year and a half. So I'm like two steps ahead of you, basically. Yeah, basically like how to pay for your own grog. I wasn't sure that I would be able to get somebody else up to that level where they're going to be able to enjoy the lifestyle on my bill. So that's the way things have evolved over the years. But one of the really amazing things about it is instead of having a little crew of people that were, you know, pumping out reports or looking at data, we had a real live collaborator to exchange ideas with. And I think that that was unique so early in our business. And so, you know, I look back on it and I'm glad at how I did it. And I want to mention one other thing about it. The fear that I had posting that opportunity because I was not aware of any precedence other than the classic like New York City publishing house internship where you just like get coffee. We didn't have any of that prestige to offer. So who am I to put this kind of thing on the internet? Like that was definitely in my mind and where I got the confidence to do it is trusting the intuition of what I would have wanted. And I remember living in San Diego, scouring Craigslist for an opportunity like this. I wanted to be next to a person who owned a business, be next to a person who was building wealth and see how the process worked. I would have done it for next to nothing. And that opportunity just didn't exist. In fact, there was one opportunity, Ian, and I think that that person was looking for a different kind of assistant. I don't know if I told you that story, but uh, honestly, I thought it was crazy that, and I still continued to find it was crazy. And this is 
is one of the things we've soapboxed about on this show. If you're a successful entrepreneur, you're sitting on a lot of value that people, they would die to hear that information. They would die to see how it goes down. I mean, people are willing to work just to see the information, just to see how successful businesses get grown. So back to business here, right? We're trying to hire somebody now, today. And so I caught up on Skype with Alex, our team member, and Ian, my business partner. And we started to discuss on the air, and you'll you'll hear this later in the episode, you know, what actually is going to be involved in this position. But somewhere in the conversation, a couple issues came up. One that we've been debating internally, which is, does it matter where this person is located? And our answers, I guess, well, surprised me a little bit because although this is a podcast about location independence, it turns out that we do care where this person is located. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about a new policy that we have about side projects. I'd be curious to know, actually, do you let your employees start businesses on the side? Do you let them do other things? If you don't have people coming to an office for nine to five, how do you judge how much of their time they owe you? So we're going to have a brief discussion about those issues before we jump into what this job is all about. Yeah, so we're looking right now specifically for someone that is in a similar time zone to Ian and I. We're over in Central Time in Austin, Texas. So we're hoping to work with someone who can be within a time zone or two of, of that and that we can be working with throughout the day. Yeah, Alex, that's primarily important because you're going to be teaching this person everything you know about the job that you've been doing for essentially the last year. And so it's really important to get up to speed on that. Now, Dan, I don't know if this is the time and the place to talk about our different opinions on location independent teams, but if you'd like to tee off, I would definitely like to have that conversation with you. I'll tee off with this. I think that time zone syncing is a big deal. And I think that it's something that hasn't really been talked about a whole lot in like the distributed team, location independent thing. You know, in the past, there's been things like customer service handoffs might be great. Like our U.S. team is going to serve the customers, you know, half the day. And then our team in Asia will serve the customers the other half of the day. But if you're working on collaborative projects with people and you're living on the other side of the world, it sucks. That's the bottom line. If you're trying to manage clients on the other side of the world, it sucks. That's the bottom line. So I totally agree with you guys on that. Is that like time zone syncing for me is a big deal. You know, with you guys, we have like a really deep relationship at this point. So it's a little bit easier. I can call you while you're in your PJs and vice versa. But I think it's really tough to scale a team that relies on discussion, collaboration, deep thinking. It's a really big advantage to be able to sync throughout the working day. I think you're absolutely right, Dan. Jeez, I was assuming that you were going to take the other side of that argument, given that we had a minor blowout the other night. Impressive that you came through with that. I actually am bearish on in-person. I don't think it's very important that this person like come to the cafe with you for the next six months. I really value my location independence, and I do value being in person with you guys. But I've done a lot of things where it's like co-working, collaboration. I've lived with staff in the past, which was fun. But I really found that the value diminished pretty quickly. Like at the beginning, you know, you get together for the first month. It's hugely valuable. But then I think, you know, that there are diminishing returns to that, in particular when you can like sync up in a time zone. So like once you establish that initial relationship where it's like, I got your phone number, we're on the same page, you know, here's how we communicate with each other. I do think that at that point, you don't need an office. Like you don't need to meet three times a week. I just think that holds people back in some ways, actually. 
Agreed. So as you guys already know, I run the product business from two phone calls a week. I'm in Austin or traveling around and the rest of the teams in San Diego. And I think it works for the exact same reason that you said, Dan, we have a big, long history together. We've been in person for a long time. There's definitely diminishing returns when I was in San Diego sitting in the office. You know, we didn't have great conversations every day. You're flipping paper clips, thinking like I could be in Austin right now, printing out motorcycle parts instead. I'm sort of sitting here having a zero <laughs> impact. <laughs> exactly. I think you're right to say when you're working on collaborative projects, I think it's much more valuable to be in person if you can. Second step from that is at least be in the same time zone. When you're in a situation like you and I are, at, we're basically on opposite ends of the world trying to figure out this time zone thing. It, I think it really only works when you have a really solid relationship and you have a long history together. So this is all to say, Alex, is this person required to be in Austin, Texas for any amount of time? Not required to be in Austin. No, I would love it. If you happen to be in Austin, awesome. We'll go get breakfast tacos. Ian and I have a very built up cafe route that we've established over several months. But if you're not, you're still good. We were thinking, though, flying you, whoever this person is, down to Austin for a period of time to have a, a kind of initial onboarding process. So I don't know exactly how much right now, maybe a, a week or two, where you and I and Ian would have an intensive onboarding process. We'd catch you up to date on all our processes, our systems, the company, and get you off to a strong start and then you know, let you spread your wings and fly. I'm going to take this opportunity real quick to do an advertisement for Austin, Texas. It is the capital of Texas. It has amazing breakfast tacos. It has amazing tacos. It has an amazing cafe scene. And it also has probably the most, I'd say, interesting and abundant group of entrepreneurs that's willing to meet with you basically any time of the week. So that's my pitch for Austin. You get to hang out with at least 30 DCers. There are hundreds of other entrepreneurs here. It's really a great scene. I enjoy it. And if you come hang out with Alex, even if for a little bit of time, I think that you'll find it to be a cool city. Let me say this too because I haven't said this publicly yet, but this is a new policy of ours, and I want to explain why we have this policy, which is the no side projects policy. And we're rolling this out on this job. And the reason is this, like, so traditionally we've kind of had this, like, we're open to entrepreneurial stuff. So, like, if you want to start a side business, we'll support you and stuff. And I guess, like, philosophically we do support that, but I honestly think in a job where there's no nine to five, what you really bring onto your team is people's best creative energy. And so I think that requires focus, not in terms of hours, but in terms of how you're applying that energy. And so our policy is, you know, close down the side projects. This is your main thing. And when you're ready to go, let us know, and then we'll help you go. I think that that's important, Ian, and I want to mention it because we're running these style of businesses that when you're really building a team, you're harnessing people's creative energy. You're not harnessing their hours to pump out TPS reports. You're hurting yourself if you get a job and you're splitting your creative energy when you could have a big impact, people could see it, and then you could go on to your next thing. So I totally agree, Dan, and I like the idea that you're bringing into that. And so, you know, what we're saying here is essentially like, look, if you put in the time, you close all your other books, you should be able to get out of this more than what you would have got probably on your own. Hopefully the reason why you're entering this is because you hope to gain some experience that you couldn't have given yourself on your own. It's a positive and negative because what we're essentially saying by having that policy is we want your creativity. And the truth is, is if you have side projects, it shows 
You can't hide it. Like, you know where the pre- creative energy is going. And so we don't want a rote machine in this role. We want someone who's willing to bring creative energy because that's the kind of leverage that we want. That's the kind of presence we want on our team. We don't want someone who's just like filling out the paperwork and then running off to do something else on the off hours. And just to be clear, you know, this is not so much a rant that's directed at the person that's going to apply to this job, but this is actually a shift in our business process, right, Dan? I mean, it's another reason, and we're not going to go into this right now, why we don't hire interns anymore. I mean, this is just another part of our progression. You know, we started off with interns, then we started off hiring people that had side projects. Now we're saying, you know what, 100% of your time is devoted to what we're up to. When you're ready to go on, go on. So now it's time to sort of get down to business. In this final segment, Ian, Alex, and myself, we discuss what initiatives we're working on, why we want to invest in a new team member. I mean, it's quite a bit for us. It's going to involve travel all around the world. It's going to involve a lot of investment in this person. So why do we feel it necessary to bring someone on? We talk a little bit, I guess, meta. We talk about what it's like to work on this team, what we value, why we're overly critical all the time, and why most people hate that. So most people are a terrible fit for this job. If you're interested in this job position or you're interested on inside baseball and what it's like, you know, the inner team dynamics of small business, stick around for this final portion of the show. If you're just interested in the job, I do recommend listening to the rest, but you can skip ahead and check out the post at tropicalmba.com slash work with us. Alex, we've been kind of tossing around this idea of hiring another person to help us manage the growth in the DC. Currently, right now, it's you and a few contractors. And the question that I asked you was, because you have it beautifully written up here, what this next person is going to do. I was really impressed with that. But the question I asked you is, okay, if you're doing all this right now, what are you going to be doing after you fire yourself and hire this next person? Basically, what I'm doing here is firing myself. Up until this point, the last quarter, I've, I've had the opportunity to focus on trying to creatively come up with new ways to add value to the D.C. And we've worked on that, and, and we've been pretty successful adding some exciting new programs to the D.C., but it's gotten to the point now where most of my time is taken up running the programs that we started, and I'm running out of time to actually come up with new things. So I say all the time, like these theoretical things. And the metaphor I've always used is like shedding your skin. So you jumped in and proactively had all these ideas, you know, based on member feedback. It's like, all right, you know, we're going to start this mastermind framework. You know, we can have a rush every quarter and people can get signed up with masterminds that work for them. It's like, all right. But like, then you've just created yourself a whole lot of work. And I'm sure every entrepreneur can relate Mm -hmm. to this, right? Like you have a great idea and then it's like, oh, I got to execute it. You know, you wake up every morning, you do all your good ideas, and it's like, wow, this is like a full-time job. I've just created myself a job. And I think the hard part is codifying what you're doing. Because at some level, you're sort of operating instinctually. You know, it's like, you know, people need to do this, and this person's asking me this. But if you want to hire somebody, you can't just come in and say, hey, be smart just like I am and do it. Because they don't have any experience, so they're coming cold off the street. That's probably the most terrifying part for me personally of this whole firing myself thing is I kind of almost view these projects as like my little mini project babies in a way. And I've poured so much time into them and I care about them. And the idea of handing them off to somebody is frankly a little terrifying. Personally, I've been trying to kind of work up the trust to put myself out there and and find someone who was qualified to do this. And I'm looking forward to that challenge because I think it will be rewarding. I didn't expect it to be this difficult. 
This kind of challenge never goes away. I think before we got on this call, Ian and I were talking about something similar. Should we hire a CEO? And you always have this idea like, for me, I'm like, well, I don't know if someone's going to do it as well as we can do it. When you have that trust in others, like that's when the magic happens. The same thing when you came in, Alex is like, you end up doing a lot of these programs better than we could ever do them. The difficult part is actually with us is like equipping that person with the necessary experience, knowledge, and process to actually hit the ground running without having like this giant learning curve. The difference between Alex in 2014 and Dan and Ian in 2000, circa, I don't know, nine, was that you actually have a process in place, which is pretty impressive. In 2009, we didn't really have any processes in place. And so we were kind of like flying by the seat of our pants and doing exactly what Dan said, which was just hoping we could hire the smartest person, bring them in and have them be a rock star. It's interesting now that we've got all these processes in place. I mean, you still want to hire a rock star and you still want to hire somebody that can do above and beyond their job, help grow the company. But Alex, man, you've really got it just line item by line item exactly how they're going to be spending their 40 hours a week here. Yeah, and I was thinking about that. I think that's a good place to start and, and build out that trust. And I think anyone who can operate under these projects that we have in place is also probably capable of coming up with some new initiatives and, and ways to add value to the company. Maybe we could tell some stories of what these projects are and like what the work looks like and where you see it going. So what are some of the things that are coming down the pike with the business that you feel like well, we really need to bring somebody on to the team? Yeah, so some of the projects are things that we've added in the past and that we're running at the moment. And so this person's going to be taking over managing, running, and hopefully improving these initiatives. So for example, Mastermind Rush is something that we added recently. And this is a project where we realized that a lot of DCers want to be in a mastermind, but don't necessarily feel like they're ready to start one on their own. So we took the role of matchmakers and we basically told them, hey, throw your name into the bucket, tell us a little bit about your business, and we'll put you in a mastermind ourselves. And we used this kind of process that we built out over the years for matching people together for masterminds. And we ended up putting 40-something people into masterminds. It was a big success. So we're going to start doing this on a regular basis. This person will be running that DCX events. By the way, Alex, I just want to say real quick about your process for the masterminds. Worth a lot of money. <laughs> that process is proprietary. And no, we're not selling it. And no, you can't ask Alex about it. So we've also got like DCX events, for example. We started providing funding to community members in different cities that want to throw events themselves. Realized that one of the major barriers to them being able to do that was some of the costs associated with that for, you know, a location, maybe projection rentals, getting someone to speak out there. So we started providing funding to people that were willing to kind of step out and take a jump on that. I'd like to see more of these DCX events in the future. So I'm hoping whoever jumps on board is capable of reaching out to members and kind of coming up with opportunities for more events in our local hubs. If you're not familiar with our hubs, those are cities where we've got tons of DCers like Austin, of course, Saigon, Bangkok, Berlin. we got a, a little pile of them and they're growing. Barcelona, of course, we've got a BCN event coming up. Those are some of the current programs that this person will be running. You know, one of the things that you and I did, and this is a new process for us in this business, is we sat down about six months ago and we've tried to figure out, okay, what are the new initiatives that we're going to do in this business over the next quarter? This was a really healthy exercise, I think, for us. And it's something that I think you can apply to every business. We were expecting a certain amount of growth and we were expecting things that we had put into play years ago to still be working. But what can you do to really take your business to the next level? And that's what 
what you and I were working on, right? So we put together and compiled a list of about 10 things. And you're talking about business babies. I think only about three or four of those 10 things actually succeeded. So we put together this list and on this list were things like the DC funding, doing a mastermind rush, things like that. And we had a list of 10 of these things and there's only three left standing. But I think this is a really good exercise and it's one that we're gonna continue to do on a quarter by quarter basis and actually this is part of the reason why we have to hire somebody is because we can't kind of sustain that process that we have found is so valuable because like you said, you're the one executing on these things that we're coming up with. We're having to execute on so many different things that we don't have any time for idea generation. So essentially that's why you're firing yourself, right? Yeah, idea generation is key. You know, it's something I love to do in the business. It's probably my favorite part of my role is just being able to take a step back and try to find ways where we can add value to the DC, finding areas where we're weak and strengthening them or finding areas where we can just bring something completely new. It's For me personally, it's exciting, it's invigorating, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it once we have someone on board. Along with your white tiger ability to mastermind match people, is this emerging white tiger ability for you to come up with new initiatives for our business? And Dan and I talk about this a lot, and it's like, I don't think that you can hire somebody necessarily unless they have like tons and tons of experience in your specific business or niche and expect them to grow your business for you, at least not right off the bat. That's another thing that you're doing that's impressive is you're able to come in here within a short amount of time and figure out initiatives to grow the business. And that, as a business owner, that's really, really, really valuable. We talked about some of the nuts and bolts. Of course, we're going to have the whole job description posted. Let's not bore people with that. I was wondering... Let's get a little perspective on the people that are sticking around at this point. They're thinking about maybe coming to join our team. Maybe it makes sense for us to give a little bit of insight into like what it's like to work with us and what are the best parts and what are the most challenging parts? It's unlike, as you expect, any traditional company. I mean, I'd say the most exciting part of working with our team is that every day is different. Every day is a different challenge. I enjoy that type of environment where I'm able to kind of be innovative and in a fast moving environment. We're a small team. So you know, everybody has their skin in the game. You're not just a number when you're in a team of three to four people. You are essential. And everybody is looking to the rest of the team to hold us afloat. So if you're joining this team, definitely expect to be highly valued, but also held to a high standard because we're going to need you. And sometimes that means jumping on things you've never done before and just loading them on the spot and walking away with a new skill. And, and sometimes that means stepping at the plate and being like, hey, I've got this handled. Step back. Let me show you. Hey, Alex, why don't you explain to everybody what it's like getting dragged on the podcast at 9 p.m. and getting a phone call at 10.30 p.m. during the week? Well, <laughs> I've gotten used to the late night calls since we got the time difference going on. So I've got my coffee pot, you know, brewing and ready to go for this. Uh, I would say that it's not a traditional nine to five, you know, and I'd say that the hours aren't common and that the work really isn't common either. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. The hours aren't common. I find it fun. You know, I always choke. A lot of people uh, are, are reaching out to, you know, you guys and trying to get discussions with you. And I can't get you out of my ear until I'm literally in bed. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> chatting with you as, as I'm getting ready to go to sleep. Advantage or disadvantage? We're not sure. I'd say it leans usually more towards advantage. It's a fun team to be constantly chatting with. You know, we use Slack. So I wake up with a whole slew of comments and ideas every morning from Dan, who's working over in Asia time. But yeah, it's, it's no nine to five. This is a weird team to work for. First off, we got the best customers in the world. So if you don't like working with location-independent entrepreneurs, to me, that's really a privilege. Customers that are really engaged in what we're doing, and they help us with what we're doing. So that's you know one of the upsides. And one of the downsides is that then those customers are really important. Like you need to treat them with white gloves. You know, So that can be definitely challenging. 
our customers are the DCers themselves. They care a lot about the DC, the community, because not only are they customers, they've helped us build what it is today. They are invested as well. So, you know, these aren't people that are just passively sitting back. They care very deeply and they're not afraid to share their opinions. And that's a beautiful part of this type of community is that the people you're working with are, are heavily involved and really care about what you're doing. So there's a kind of like an emotional intelligence that's really critical for this role, especially since Ian and I have almost none. So we really need to backfill the team, you know, with the, that kind of sensitivity. And it's a weird combination of, I feel like on the external side, like this job has so many perks, right? It's like you get to kind of work when you want, you get to work on a cool team with an amazing business and it's super flexible in terms of working hours and vacations and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, you can't come into it with a what's in it for me attitude because the job is essentially like you're a servant to this group of entrepreneurs. So it's like a weird mix of like, well, there's so many benefits for me to join that team, you know? But then it's like, you got to get there and it's like, well, I'm a servant now. You got to think of the DC first when you're doing stuff. It's not like what's in it for me. I'd like to say this, getting to be a part of this team is like Dan said, it's only part of the equation. Being able to serve the DC customers, that's the other part of the equation. You know, depending on what you're looking to do, if you're looking to kind of learn about how to build this kind of business, if you're looking to learn how to be an entrepreneur, if you're looking to meet other people, I mean, whatever you're kind of looking to do, make sure if you apply to this job that we're within that scope. I think that every employee, either two things happen, and Alex, no offense, but I was told this before, they either get fired or they quit. I mean, that's just kind of the progression of what happens here. And so you got to think about that when you apply for this job and when you join the team, what do you want to get out of this for yourself? And then what can you provide to the members? I think there's a third option, which is that you have a very high exit velocity from this in terms of support from your ex-employers, which is something that we've regularly done in the past, the network that you developed while you work for our team, which is the visibility that your work has. People know what kind of results you can create. And to that end, you know, getting a job like this, a lot of people kind of like, oh my gosh, this is a life-changing thing. It's really not. It's just a really basic platform for you to work really hard and to have that work affect other people. So it's a way to amplify the value you can create in the world. The job is just the beginning, right? Alex knows this. He's been with us for a long time now. I mean, it's a lot of work. Well, that's the offer here. It's just an opportunity to get your work seen and to have it affect entrepreneurs. Alex, do you have a parting shot on that? Yeah. From a team member standpoint, this is pouring your creative energy into the business is going to come back and pay you multiple fold. You are running this business. You are an integral part of it. And when you come out and you put yourself fully into it, you're going to come out with new skills massive connections. And like Dan said, this just incredible exit velocity, and you're going to be ready for some big things. Real quick, Alex, just to wrap this up, I want to drive home two more points. One is that very infrequently are things dropped on your desk that are very easy and discrete tasks with positive outcomes or, or things that are well-defined. Long story short here that nothing is very easy. You have to do a lot of thinking for yourself. You have to put a lot of the pieces together yourself. A lot of this work isn't super defined, although we do have an outline saying these are the things that we'd like to accomplish. It's going to take a lot of energy and it's also going to it's like a lot of creativity to figure out how to get these things done. Alex, myself, and Dan are going to help you get these things done, but don't come and apply for this job with the attitude that you're going to sit down, you're going to kind of punch in, punch out, and you're going to learn all this stuff, and you're going to be great at it, and it's going to be super easy. Let me tell a story about Alex. I think this kind of sums it up in terms of what I'd be looking for. The other day, Alex spent all day long sitting in a cafe by himself 
emotionally toiling over how to solve a problem. And he had a draft that more or less could have been a solution. Spent all day long on it, thinking through a problem. I came through and criticized it completely, changed everything, had him fix it, then took credit for it. <laughs> That's exactly how this works. Exactly. And, and if you don't like somebody coming to you after a hard day's work and saying, hey, I've got a different experience than you. I've got a different perspective. Like, here's all of my critiques of what you did. If you can't handle that after you're a little bit tired, then this is going to be tough work for you. Because being a creative person working in an organization like this, it's emotionally difficult for some people. Other people are like, sweet. Like I get critical feedback on my work. It's not just like these guys are just rubber stamping this stuff. You know, to kind of have a gut check with yourself. Honestly, like if you can't handle criticism well, it's very difficult to work with Ian and I because we're very critical people. We like to criticize things. In fact, even when things go well, Ian, I don't know if this is like a common thing, but we'll like sit down after a very successful event or a project. And the first thing we're doing is like, here's how we can improve it. Here's like what went wrong. Like, did you notice how that didn't happen like this? And if you think that that's a big bummer, honestly, like that might just be the vibe of our team. It's like, we're just looking to improve. And so that involves a great deal of criticism. It's meant in the best possible way. It doesn't have to do with the individuals on our team. It has to do with how we can be better as a group and how our business can be better as a business. If you're interested in working with our team, we're interested in hearing from you. You can see all the details about this job opportunity or comment on this post or any of our hiring practices. We'd love to hear your philosophies. Everything will be at tropicalmba.com slash work with us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.